0: Uh, the reading is from Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 50. Um, you can find that on page 1610 of the Bibles on the Chairs.
1: When he had led them
0: out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God.
1: Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, My name is Philip, for those of you who don't know me, bear with me while I arrange myself. Uh, My name is Philip, uh, commonly known around here as Joanne's husband. Um, It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, um, I wear two hats um, during my week. Um, I'm a GP, I do that part-time, but I'm also studying at the Bible College of South Australia. I'm working on my PhD there, and have been for some time because... Part-time PhDs take forever. Uh, now, over the school holidays, uh, our kids have been having some sleepovers um, at, at the grandparents' house. Um, they love it. Grandparents love it. We really love it. And uh, Joanne and I, we took the opportunity uh, the other night to go and catch a movie at the cinema. Th- that's the whole story. I'm just gloating. And I can see all the parents out there. And <laughs> No, there is more to it. Um, we saw a movie called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Uh, now, I'm going to highlight at the outset here, this movie won't be to everyone's taste. Uh, but it's, it's an absurdist take on nihilism, um, where Evelyn, a, a completely unremarkable Chinese-American immigrant, uh, she runs a laundromat. She falls afoul of the tax office. Uh, She's struggling with family relationships with her husband and father and her daughter. And she gets in touch with all of the alternate versions of herself in parallel dimensions. It's a bit wacky. Um, Now, I'm not gonna give any spoilers, um, but through a series of increasingly bizarre events, the end result is about, it's all about the value of loving your family and making peace with the life that you have. And that's, that's all in good, well and good. But the conclusion doesn't come from partic- any particular source of meaning. Uh, it's from complete nihilism, from the conclusion that nothing matters, there is no meaning, so we've just got to make the most out of what we have. Now, I genuinely like the movie, um, and it does have some uh, positive conclusions, but the road it takes to get there... Couldn't be more at odds with the Christian worldview, and I can't help but wonder if meaning in life that's derived from that from the conclusion that there is no meaning is destined to ultimately fail for lack of a firm foundation. So, with that in mind, uh, we're going to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus this morning. Um, We're piggybacking on to the end of our Luke series, just with these last few verses. Uh, with the ascension to kind of kick us off. But to start with, I've got a few questions for you to think about briefly. What is the, rev- the resurrection good for? Like, why does it actually matter? And why are we looking at it for three straight Sundays after Easter? So, two of them before Easter, but here we are. Now, if I, if I took answers from the congregation, um, I suspect I'd get a few different perspectives, quite a few probably, uh, because the resurrection, it's a really big topic. Uh, and frankly, it's, it's enormous enough to deserve a whole series on its own. So we're only gonna be touching on a, on a few aspects of it today. Now, unfortunately, uh, we've had a bit of a habit of underselling the, the resurrection um, in recent history it's been just a bit too easy for the, uh, the church to just basically tack it on on the back end of our focus on the cross, not because we don't value it, but because it just gets overshadowed. Now, I recall um, when I first started my masters at Bible College of South Australia some years ago, we had a particular theology textbook um, by a guy called Erickson. Now, the Erickson textbook, it wasn't too bad in most respects, not exactly an invigorating textbook, in a text of over 1,000 pages, how many pages do you think he designate, designated for the resurrection? One measly page. I'm very happy to report that we no longer use Erics at the Bible College of South Australia. Uh, all right. So today, we're going to be thinking about the resurrection more specifically, and we're going to be thinking about how the resurrection should shape our thinking and our lives, and see if we can develop a firmer foundation for meaning than Evelyn and her nihilism. Please observe here, my notes are longer than one page. Uh, A couple of disclaimers. Um, First of all, I'm I'm speaking here with the assumption that the resurrection happened, that Christ physically rose from the dead. Uh, There's uh, many new faces amongst uh, amongst us today. Lovely to have you here. If this is a question for you, there's there's lots to be said about that. Is is there evidence that Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, How do we know that? If that's a question for you, absolutely pursue it. Um, It's a question that has answers, and, and it should be answered for you. But for today, what we're talking about is with that assumption that it did happen, that it was real and physical, and we're going to talk about the ramifications of it. So in a little while, I'm going to get Sarah back up here uh, to read to us from uh, some sections from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But first, let's take a look at these last few verses of Luke. Now, it's actually kind of easy for us to let uh, those last few verses pass by without a lot of thought. Like, it's pretty brief. Most of us are quite familiar with the idea of the ascension. Uh, basically, after Jesus was resurrected, he hung around for 40 days, did some pretty cool stuff, and then went off into heaven. It's like the final scene of a movie, right? Like, all the d- drama has been resolved, the protagonist rides off into the sunset, credits roll, directed by Steven Spielberg. But it turns out, the ascension isn't just the happy ending. Or, in fact, it's not even the ending at all it's a major element of Christ's work. Now, we could happily spend hours talking about the ascension, uh, or at least I'd be happy. The Christ workers might not be. Um, But this morning, I'm just going to pick up on a few key points to help us think about the resurrection. First of all, the manner of the ascension is really important for us. Um, In verse 51 there, it tells us that he left them and was taken up into heaven. Now, Do you see the bit where it says he unzipped his now unnecessary body, uh, stepped out of it and ascended into heaven as a pure spirit that he is, uh, leaving behind a crumpled man suit with instructions for the disciples on how to dry clean it? Uh, No, that's not there, um, obviously. uh, Because he actually ascended physically, didn't he? In the flesh, he was taken up into heaven. So at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, um, which we call the Incarnation. So God the Son entered into history by being born as a human in the flesh. So if we fast forward 30-something years, we see that the Incarnation, it didn't stop with the Ascension. He didn't leave his humanity behind, nor will he in the future. We actually get a little bit more uh, detail if we were to flick over to Acts chapter 1. Um, As you know, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, they're written by the same guy. They're basically part one and part two. And Luke, the author, he considered the ascension important enough to include it in both the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. Uh, And in Acts 1, he adds in a couple of extra details. Um, Brian can put it up on the screen for us, but listen to verses 10 and 11 of Acts chapter 1. So Jesus has ascended into heaven, he's they've gone up, uh, he's gone up into, this, uh, into heaven, let me read. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven." I would like to suggest at this point, in fairness to the disciples, that why do you stand here looking into the sky, given the circumstances, seems like a pretty unfair question. Uh, I think any of us would be still standing there staring at the sky, but that's a digression. The point is that he was taken into, into heaven physically, and so too will he return in the flesh as God incarnate. Now, there's a lot we could say about the ascension, um, about Christ reigning from heaven as the promised Messiah, um, about him presenting himself as sacrifice for us in the heavenly tabernacle that we see in the book of Hebrews, or about him sending the Holy Spirit to dwell in his people. But the main takeaway for us today, uh, for our purpose today, is that if Christ ascended bodily and will return bodily, then the resurrection matters. It wasn't temporary. It wasn't a brief stage that could be discarded once it served its purpose. It it was and is forever. So the ascension, amongst many other things, shows us that the resurrection matters, because Jesus is still the resurrected Jesus. So with that being the case, how should we think about the resurrection? once again, this is a big question that does deserve its own series of sermons. By the way, if you're interested in a series of sermons, please put your notes on, indicate that on a slip and, you know, we'll, we'll make Cam do it. <laughs> uh, but today, what I want to do, um, I want us to think about how the resurrection shapes how we see the world, um, how it should shape the way we live our lives. And for this, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians, uh, to chapter fi- uh, 15. Sarah's going to come up and read. It's a very long chapter. We're just going to read a few excerpts from it. Um, thanks, Sarah.
0: Uh, so that's 1 Corinthians, starting at verse 20, which you can find on page 1747. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. And then moving down to uh, verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first but the natural and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery.
1: Thank you, Sarah. Okay, so even from the bits that we've read there, clearly there's an awful lot going on in this chapter. Uh, But it's going to help us with our question about how we should think about the resurrection. So our first question to ask is why does Jesus' bodily resurrection matter? Now, we've seen in the last few weeks uh, that Luke was at at pains to show that his resurrection was entirely physical, um, that the ascension, and the ascension shows us that it wasn't temporary. So why does it matter so much? Now, it's quite common uh, for the resurrection to be treated as a proof, um, a proof that Jesus really was who he claimed to be. Uh, the resurrection was the grand finale, the, the most spectacular miracle, the great supernatural act which proved who Jesus was. Now, that's all entirely true, Uh, but if we leave it at that, I think we'd actually have a fairly impoverished view of the resurrection. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, You might have also heard it talked about in the sense of it was proof that Christ's work on the cross was effective, that uh, the resurrection showed that the sacrifice of the cross was effective, and that Jesus had provided redemption for his people, and that he himself was vindicated. Now, once again, that's all entirely true. But resurrection is more than just a mark of authenticity for the cross, like it was some sort of a a cosmic receipt for what had been done. It's not less than that, but it's certainly more than that. Now, instead, the Bible shows us that the resurrection, uh, it's not just that receipt for the cross... It's actually what the cross paid for. So let's have a look at a few details in 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll spell this out a little bit. Now, first of all, you'll note that the name Adam comes up a few times in this chapter, Um, first in verse uh, 22, then later from verse 45. To start with, Adam and Jesus are being contrasted in verses 21 and 22, where Adam is associated with death, Christ is associated with life and resurrection. But later in the chapter, it isn't just a direct contrast, is it? Uh, there's actually some equivalence between them. And Jesus is referred to as the second Adam and the last Adam. So what's going on with all these Adams? Paul isn't referring to Adam here just as an individual, uh, just you know the one guy that happened to be at the front of the line in the creation queue. Uh, Adam, as the ancestor of everyone, stands here as the representative of humanity, uh, because what he did affected all of humanity to come. Verse 21 tells us that death came to humanity through one man, Adam, because his sin brought God's curse and judgment on all of humanity. And that's exactly what we read in Genesis 3 as well, isn't it? that God punished Adam and Eve for their sin, and he ejected them from the garden so that they would no longer have access to the tree of life. So as the progenitor of humanity, as the the representative of the first of humanity, Adam sinned, and that resulted in death and judgment for everyone. Now, in this sense, that contrast with Jesus is pretty obvious, isn't it? Adam brought sin and death to all of humanity, but Jesus' death and resurrection brings life to all of those who trust in him, right? It's a fairly straightforward contrast. But there's more to the Adam business than that, isn't there? Because as well as the contrast, Jesus is also called the last Adam. There is some kind of equivalence between them. So, what is it? Well, it comes down to, G- to Adam sorry, being the representative of humanity and setting a path for everyone that would follow, that everyone that would come after him. This is exactly what Jesus also did. Uh, and over in Romans uh, 5, verse 14, Paul explicitly states that Adam was the pattern or the type of the one to come, Jesus. But where Adam brought death, Jesus brought life. So Jesus is like Adam because he fundamentally and permanently altered humanity for all that would follow him. And he is the last Adam because he would bring humanity into its final, perfect, eternal state. Uh, More on that in a bit, though. So what does the last Adam have to do with the resurrection, then? Well, it's right there for us in verse 20, and again in verse 23, where Paul talks of Christ's resurrection as the firstfruits. Now, firstfruits, you may recall, um, it's a particular term used in the Old Testament for an offering to to be brought before the Lord. Uh, In Leviticus 23, it describes the instruction to the Israelites to bring the very first sheaf of grain that's harvested in any season as an offering to God. So the firstfruits, it's the first of the harvest, but it also represents the whole of the harvest. So too with Christ's resurrection, Paul tells us. Christ is the first to be resurrected, but as the last Adam, the representative of humanity, we know that those who come after him will likewise be resurrected. So one of the main topics in 1 Corinthians 15 is the discussion of what kind of body will be our resurrection body. Now, the answer Paul gives to that is more conceptual than concrete, and we're actually going to sidestep some of the details to here uh, today because it's a little bit involved, um, but we're going to take a few key points from it. Now, first of all, where these resurrection bodies are, where, so where our original bodies are perishable, are weak, I've got an awful back, I can attest to being perishable and weak, um, our resurrection bodies, however, will be imperishable and glorious. There's an easy mistake to be made here, though. Paul talks about spiritual bodies a few times there, doesn't he? And it might be tempting to think that uh, when he talks about a spiritual body, he might be talking about something that's immaterial, about um, as though we would just be plain floating spirits freed from physicality. Now, that's not at all what he means. Uh, Remember, these are still bodies that he's talking about. They're physical by definition, And we know that because we've seen one of these resurrection bodies in action already. Jesus' body, who could be touched, he could eat and drink. And remember the empty tomb. This body isn't a brand new body with the old body cast aside. It's a transformation, a dramatic transformation of the old body. So a spiritual body here is still a physical body, but it is empowered and characterized by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's, the, it's in the image of the risen Christ who is presently in heaven waiting for, uh, awaiting his return. So there's a snapshot of the resurrection. Jesus Christ, having died on the cross on Good Friday, he was resurrected into new life on Easter Sunday into a transformed and glorious resurrection body. And as the last Adam, his resurrection is the beginning, it's the model, and it's the guarantee of that same resurrection for all of those who turn to him, the people of the risen king. Now, it would be understandable at this point to wonder if maybe this is all just a bit academic. Uh, On one hand, Jesus' resurrection happened something like 2,000 years ago, and on the other hand, our own resurrection bodies um, still await us at some unknown point in the future. It's like my kids, uh, who have a habit of bounding into our room first thing on, say, a Monday morning and asking what we're going to be having for dinner the following Saturday. They're very keen to know the answer, but it really does make no difference at all to their life. Now, also, planning that far ahead in our family is frankly laughable, but that's beside the point. Uh, So why is the resurrection business so important to us now? It's going to help us at this point to zoom out um, and to look at the big picture. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, their fall into sin, it wasn't some unforeseen complication. Um, Adam and Eve in the garden, it was never supposed to be the end point of humanity and creation now remember we talked about briefly uh romans five fourteen that adam was the pattern of the one to come jesus jesus coming into the world was always on the cards because so, christ didn't come into the world only to fix it back to its original state um, it wasn't some cosmic control alt delete and reboot the whole system and see if it works again Jesus didn't come into the world only to correct what was broken by sin. He came to perfect what was incomplete and immature. So the focus of the resurrection it's not just on the women finding the tomb empty early on Easter morning. And it's not on the hilltop outside Bethany 40 days later when Christ ascended into heaven. As the last Adam, as the first fruits of the new creation, the focus of resurrection is on Revelation 21 and 22, where we see the resurrected Christ reigning over his resurrected people in the new creation forever and ever. This is the goal of all of creation. This is the purpose, and this is its destiny, that Christ's work is bringing about. So when we see the resurrection, we see a new creation that's breaking through. And we can see our place in it as the people of the risen King. This is the great drama that's playing out on the grand stage of history, the great stage of creation, that God, through, His work, through the work of His Son and the Holy Spirit, is bringing into fruition. We started this morning talking about Evelyn and her alternate selves across the multiverse. Now, she concluded that there is no meaning, so we need to make meaning uh, from those around us. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us our place in the great story. It shows us that not only that the universe does have meaning and purpose, but that it has a meaning and purpose given to it by its creator, Jesus Christ, who invites us to take part in it. It is a great and beautiful thing to see our place in that story through Jesus Christ, our Lord and risen Redeemer. Now that still leaves us with a question though, doesn't it? Uh, If we return to the dinner menu analogy, um, we might know what's for dinner next weekend, but how does that make any difference to our life now? I'm going to stop using that illustration from now on, though, because for the kids, it genuinely makes no difference at all. Uh, But for us, what, what does it mean to live in light of the resurrection? Paul certainly thinks it makes a difference. Look at the last verse of the chapter with me, verse 58. Having gone through an extended discussion of Jesus' resurrection and ours, there's bits that we we skipped over, um, addressing some of the people in the Corinthian church uh, not believing in the resurrection, a few other parts, lots and lots of discussion of the resurrection. How does he finish? He concludes, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you always gives yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So with all that discussion of of resurrection, it all comes down to this. For Paul, this is a great motivation to stand firm, to be confident that the work in the Lord is valuable. Now, the same idea comes up throughout the New Testament as well. Uh, If we look at Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 with me, Brian will put that up on the screen. Just as an example, Paul writes, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. This direction of what to set our minds on and how to think is driven by the fact that we have been raised with Christ. So again, this cosmic perspective, this understanding of Christ's resurrection and our place in it, it shapes our whole frame of reference. It should color every aspect of our lives. But to finish with this morning, let's look at applying this in just a few specific areas to see what what this might look like. First of all, it shapes the way that we see creation Now, throughout history, um, physical creation has often got a pretty bad rap. Uh, Douglas Adams, many of you may know, is the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy novels, uh, puts it like this. He says, In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry, and has been widely regarded as a bad move. Now, he's being facetious, of course, But there have been a number of traditions throughout history, um, both within Christianity and outside of it, that see the physical world as evil, uh, something to be moved beyond. Um, In the early centuries of the church, a movement known as Gnosticism came up, um, and it held that creation was evil and that salvation lay only in transcending the physical and becoming purely spiritual. Now, while church fathers, such as Irenaeus of Lyon, they dedicated themselves to battling these sort of views, the echoes of it have persisted throughout the centuries. But the resurrection, the resurrection tells us that that sort of an idea, it's bankrupt. Jesus has redeemed his people, not into disembodied spirits, but into a physical new creation of which he is the cornerstone and the firstfruits. The resurrection tells us that just as as God declared creation to be good in Genesis 1, the new creation is very, very good. It is part of who we are to live in creation, to be caring for it as part of of our mandate from the beginning. Just like our bodies, creation may be tainted and subject to decay, but it isn't destined for annihilation. It's destined for spectacular redemption and renewable. So as humans, redeemed and belonging to the true and perfect human, Jesus Christ, let's take that creation mandate seriously in caring for it. Whether it's in our own personal habits and lifestyle, uh, what we advocate for, or how we engage with politics, let's follow Christ's lead, who showed us that creation is of great worth. The resurrection, it should also move us to kingdom work, to ministering to those around us. That last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, it speaks volumes, doesn't it? Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. It isn't in vain because we know that we have a sure hope In Jesus' resurrection and our own. Our work is for a purpose that under God will flourish in resurrection life. So as children of the resurrection, as the people of the risen King, let's serve each other gladly in the knowledge that what we do, whether it's setting up for church, whether if it's teaching in a kids program, caring for those who need care, sharing the gospel with those around us, none of these things is in vain. But finally, we also have a message of hope. We're here as Christ's ambassadors, as representatives of his kingdom, which is already broken through and it awaits its full consummation in the new creation. When we see ourselves as part of that grand story, we have a sure hope ahead of us. A confidence that what is to come is perfect and glorious because of what we have seen in the resurrection of Jesus, the last Adam and the firstfruits of the new creation. So the resurrection, it drives out fear. We have a message of hope. Now, we absolutely feel the heaviness of creation groaning under the weight of sinful humanity, but we know that it will be redeemed and made new. We can lament the brokenness and pain in ourselves and people around us because of sin but we know that the resurrected jesus has given us a sure hope in him now there's a lot to lament in the world and it's right for us to lament the pain and suffering in the world in a world that is turned away from god but if that leads us into despondency and despair then we haven't really understood Jesus' resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it gives us hope because the new creation has broken through. His kingdom has begun. And just like the angels told the disciples on that hilltop outside of Bethany, He is coming back in the same way that He left. So with that message of hope, that clear picture of our place in God's great drama, I think the only appropriate way to finish is to offer praise to our resurrected Lord. Why don't you join with me in prayer? Father in heaven, we give you great praise. For you have sent your Son into the world to redeem it, to make it new. Father, we thank you for your resurrected Son, our Lord and King, We thank you that in him we have a great hope, that we can see our meaning in the world because you give it to us. We thank you for that great place that you've given us in your great story for the world. We long for the day where we live forever in our resurrected bodies, with Christ reigning over us as our resurrected King, and we can praise you for all eternity. Father, we pray this in his name. Amen.